Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. Today, we're going to talk for the whole hour to a very inspirational woman who's been through an amazing challenge in her life and has turned this incredible obstacle into an incredible opportunity. My guest is Amy Ostrecher, and I will just tell you that once upon a time, not long before her 18th birthday, Amy was a young woman full of hope and promise with plans for college and dreams of Broadway. One week before her senior prom, a blood clot changed everything. In agonizing pain, she was rushed to the hospital where her stomach exploded literally. Both her lungs collapsed, and after months in a coma, Amy woke up to learn that she may never eat or drink again. Eventually, she had 27 surgeries to salvage and replace her digestive system. Today, nearly 15 years later, Omi Ostracher is grateful for that explosion. Her first of six difficult but wonderful life-changing detours in her debut book, this book, My Beautiful Detour, An Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful, she shares her incredible story of trauma and transformation. She also shares the belief and practices that took her from barely surviving to thriving and blazing her own trails as a detourist. Wow. Welcome, Amy. <laughs> well, thanks for having me and for reading wow. all that. <laughs> wow. Now, did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yeah, Ostriker. Then anything goes. Ostriker right. is good, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Wow. Well, let's, um, let's first ask what inspired you to write this book, which just came out recently. Yes, yes. So, so what inspired me? Um, my journey was really, um, I call it a beautiful detour now, but obviously when I was going through all that, it wasn't always so beautiful and I didn't really see it as a detour. It just kind of felt like, why did my life suddenly end up, you know, in the twilight zone? But it wasn't until I was able to find creative ways to move through every, you know, uncertain step of, of that path and eventually um, put together actually uh, a one-woman musical about my life where I could find the theatrical arc of what I had been through and, um, and really find the story behind it. And I realized that being able to tell my story was a way to reframe my narrative and help me find meaning in, in these events. Um, and then I realized all of the things that had helped me along the way uh, that I didn't always see when I was going through it. And I, I wanted to share um, how I got from day to day with, with no roadmap in sight because I felt like it was important for anyone going through any kind of uncertainty. Pretty amazing. What was the most challenging part of writing the book? 
the most challenging part. Oh boy. <laughs> First, remembering everything because everything's a lot easier in retrospect sometimes. And as I was revisiting things that had happened when I just gotten out of the hospital, even I, you know, going through about seven years, not able to eat or drink anything, as I was writing about what I had to do to cope, I'm thinking to myself, how did I go through this? How did I take walks on the beach, you know, every day just to feel a part of the world? But I couldn't even have an ice cube, you know? Um, so so it, it was definitely um, gratitude now for, for what I have and, mm. and also an important message to me that I hope to impart by this book that, you know what, just taking it one day at a time is so important mm. because... You never know what's ahead. Um, yeah. and, and another, uh, if I can add on another difficult part, um, but also really um, important for me is for the beginning parts of this book. You know, obviously when I was in a coma, I couldn't really uh, have much to say, but my family was there and my brother, one of my brothers, I have three, he actually kept a journal for the first 72 days of my coma. Um, and I actually read through all of those day-to-day notes, really, from day one. And obviously, you know, no, not knowing if your sister is going to make it through the night, that very first night, I mean, everything is very raw and real. Um, so, of course, that was difficult to go through. Um, let me ask you, really Amy, important. let me ask you, um, when you say that, you know, for months you could not eat or drink and you would walk on the beach. How did you have the strength without any food or liquid in your system to be able to do that? Right. You know, I'm so, it, it shows you how psychological hunger is because, because I'm always talking about how difficult it was. And then I always neglect to, to mention the very important part that, yes, I, I was being nutritionally sustained for years because that would have not been good. Um, but it was through IV nutrition, um, which was the only way to sustain me. Yeah. Uh, uh, otherwise, I would not be here today. <laughs> That's for sure. It's a long time without any nourishment. But, um, you know, this was all through my veins, uh, total parenteral nutrition, mm-hmm. a really amazing invention that actually my father was able to get me an appointment with the inventor of TPN, which I write about in my book. That was mm-hmm. really an amazing experience. But that's the same. The, the inventor, tell time. us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, about the the inventor or yes. um, or like, yeah, and the whole system yeah. of what he invented. Yeah. Well, well first of all, I, I have to say, and I another thing I knew, um, but really realized in writing my book is the truth is I would not be here today if it weren't for my father, because my father is also a doctor, um, and so he. You know, this is not like a diagnosis. It's not a sickness. You know, my stomach literally exploded. It was kind of a, a freak thing that they weren't exactly sure what happened. So everything 
done on me was really just radical and uh, an attempt to get me to stay alive. So my father really worked, you know, day in, day out, finding every surgeon he had ever known um, and really just um, staying in the hospital with me, watching over every little thing. Um, so needless to say, leave it to my father to track down uh, Dr. Stanley Dudrick, who um, invented TPN in the 70s. And, you know, meeting him, I talked about, you know, he was just like this happy, jolly guy that first gave me my my now pet name of a surgical disaster. And mm. when every other doctor was telling me that, you know, I would never eat again, he was the first person that looked my mother in the eyes and said, your daughter is going to eat again. And that was uh. like the one spark of hope he needed. But then he, he sat me down and you know, he talked about this, you know, invention he did and how it saved people's lives. And that uh, really sustained me. Um, well, and that invention was the uh, was this special IV? Yes, uh, TPN that's used really now saving lives. I mean, I, you can research everything that TPN has done. Um, but TPN What does it stand for, Amy? Yep, uh, total parenteral nutrition. Mm, okay. Because, so you were um, one of the first people to use this. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I was not one of the first people to use this. This has been around since the 70s. Okay. Um, but, um, but I had the opportunity to, to meet him. Yes. Um, but the thing with TPM is it's not the safest thing to be on uh, in the long term because it's not so wonderful for your liver. And that's why I became you know, very yellow and jaundiced. And, you know, ideally a, a feeding tube is the safest, most natural, you know, way to get fed if you can't eat. The problem is I literally had a hollow abdominal cavity, so there was nothing to put a feeding tube in. Mm-hmm. So, so this TPN was really what I needed at that time. Wow, pretty, I mean, really uh, miraculous when you think about it. Miraculous. Yeah. I mean, the, well, the, the I, I definitely, yeah, I, I owe my life to, you know, 13 surgeons, like 12 hospitals, um, you know, 50 doctors, um, a lot of different really brilliant minds uh, really had a, a chance to really find some creative solutions because, you know, a big question is, like, that people ask is, why did it take so long um, for you to eat or drink? And, you know, it only took maybe one or two years for my insides to heal from, you know, the initial birth. But the rest of the years were, you know, again, because this is not like a diagnosis or a set thing, there was no set surgery like, Oh, reconstruct your stomach when it explodes. We we literally had to kind of shop around and, and find a surgeon that had any idea what to do. Mm. And that actually happened because um my father called the head of NIH and he told my father, he said, Listen, you need a surgeon, surgeon. You know, you need a surgeon that's gonna take all the cases that no one else wants. <laughs> and we eventually found it, but it but it took time and 
And that sure. surgeon had to make a very big uh, you know, plan. But, you know, I mean, the, what I'm getting out of listening to all this is, A, the perseverance, the resilience, you never gave up, mm-hmm. you had an incredible support team, it helped that your father was a doctor, there's no question about that, because of his knowledge base and his connections, but you, you know, these are the things, you don't, we don't, we can't do it alone, we can never do it alone, but you talk so much about the support and how important that was to be able to get you through. Right. Right. So, you know, I've given, you know, three TEDx talks about how creativity really was my way to, right. you know, because even with the doctor support and support system, you know, it was very hard to keep up hope and, and to find a way to get through day to day. But I also wrote this book because I was very excited to, you know, I share perspectives from all six of my family members, right. um, from the initial surgeon who saved my life, because I talk a lot, I work a lot with um, individuals going through trauma, and I'm very, you know, aware of how trauma affects the individual. Right. But trauma all right, and Amy, let's let's stop on that note because for a moment, yeah. because when we come sure. back, you're going to talk about what are these amazing things that you have done, you know, how you have turned those obstacles that you suffered into opportunities and the kinds of things you do when you talk in your TED Talk to give people inspiration to keep going on and making their lives work. So, folks, you're listening to Amy Ostraker. Did I say that right, Amy? Amy, you did. Okay, and her book is My Beautiful Detour, An Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. We'll be back, and Amy will be with us for the whole hour today. Stay tuned. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Brave Hearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You 
You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone. We are back. I'm Patricia Raskin, host of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. We're in our 17th or I think even 18th year now, which is very exciting. Uh, And my guest for the whole hour is Amy Ostreicher. She has just an unbelievable story of survival. Her book is My Beautiful Detour, An Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful. And I will, on each segment, I just want to recap a little bit. Uh, One week before her senior prom, a blood clot changed her life, her stomach exploded, and her lungs collapsed. She was in a coma for months, was told she'd never eat or drink again. She had 27 surgeries to salvage and replace her digestive system. And now, 15 years later, she is grateful for that explosion, and she has her debut book, My Beautiful Detour. So, welcome back, Amy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. So to add to this, and you had quite an experience before the senior prom and before your stomach exploded. Talk about that. Right. Um, I was born loving musical theater, and that's also why I call this a detour because I thought my life was so planned out that was what I was going to do. So I was also very serious about studying my entire life. And at 15, was very excited because I ended up studying with a very prestigious uh, New York voice teacher and who really became my mentor that I write about um, in the book. And then, um, you know, two years into our studies, when I was 17, I was sexually abused by him, and this was sustained for almost a year. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, froze. I went completely numb, and I kept that inside for months. And so my junior and senior year of high school were really just very um, anxiety-ridden for me and very confusing, like I didn't recognize myself anymore. Um, So I didn't really understand what was going on. And I write about the moment that I did realize I was actually sexually abused, but I couldn't even find the words to speak it until April of my senior year uh, when I finally told my mother. And I... That's a very uh, poignant moment that I write about as well. And so, of course, you know, we are going to go to get therapy and all those kind of things. Uh, but two weeks later, that's when the coma happened. So, you know, waking up from the coma, there was a lot of healing to do and a lot of, uh, you know, unresolved issues. So it was very it was a very interesting process of recovery because when I woke up from the coma and had this new reality, you know, I really just had to worry about getting through all the medical stuff. And I was too numb to deal with anything else, especially not being able to eat. You know, I had to numb myself to not be tempted by a sip of water. So then finally, um, I finally could eat and I realized what food does, you know, not only are you not 
starving anymore, but it opens up your mind and your thoughts and you can feel again. So I was so happy to start eating, but at the same time, it was so confusing because all of a sudden I was feeling things. And I felt like, you know, I was in, like, a video game getting tossed and, like, left to right, left to right. Like, oh, I'm happy. And then, what is this pain? What is this fear? What is this sadness? And then it wasn't until a lot of chaos later that I realized, oh, my gosh, I still have to process this sexual abuse that happened before my coma. So, it, you know, the physical healing was just one element. Um, but then I really had a lot of emotional healing to do. And that was really the time of most growth for me as well. That's just amazing. I mean, the whole... So my, my question to you is, how did you finally come to terms with the, you know, the sexual piece and all mm-hmm. of that? When, when did that kind of all... Did, when did that all happen? Yes. Well, the quick answer is it was not a one moment. <laughs> I was, probably would have been great, but, but no... Um, I work a lot with survivors of assault now, too, because, um, because this is being talked about more, um, there's a lot of, um, you know, kind of pull to get people to speak out and, and share their story, but me going through it, what I realized is, you know, it took me 10 years before I could even find words to speak it. And I think all of that time before that was very important for me. So for a while, I just had to process it through creativity. Um, I talk about discovering a visual art totally by accident. Um, actually, during my 13th surgery, when I was supposed to eat and I was all hooked up, but my wound exploded, and I was stuck in the hospital for four months, and I discovered art by accident, another detour, but but through the act of creating, I realized, wow, art is a great way I can put all of this mess I'm feeling inside on a canvas, and I can somehow work through it. So it took a lot of different uh, mediums of creativity for me to really understand what was going on inside because I was still very conflicted um, because this person was not just a voice teacher, he was really a mentor that I write about that eventually became my godfather and, you know, I felt like just like, you know, my life had just been cut off uh, my senior year in high school. I felt like that part of my life had been cut off, too. Like, I never saw this person again. Like, it was like pre-coma life was, like, gone, like a movie. Mm-hmm. So so it, it took a long time for me to work through things. And the good part about eating is eating became, like, a key to my soul again. So it was finally a way I could kind of the dam could unflow and I could process all of that hurt and grief that I I needed to work through because I, I needed to mourn the loss of not only my old life, but, you know, all of the things I lost in that life to work through the joy and uh, to work through the joy. And then one thing I wanted to add is that many survivors feel like, they can only, you know, really recover from this 
when they get a final confrontation. And I think everyone goes through that phase, and I, I definitely went through that phase where, you know, out of the hospital, like, all I wanted to do was I wanted to get in touch with him and, you know, tell him, like, look, this, look, this is what happened, and, you know, finally get that confrontation. And then I realized that the best way of finding victory is just, you know, getting myself healthy and, and living my life and what I wanted to do. And that was really a final closure. You know, I can still uh, live my life uh, beyond that. Right. And I think, you know, when you talked about how, you know, these chapters in your life were gone. I mean, as you said, the relationship with him was over and then mm-hmm. uh, after the prom and, you know, the whole thing with your stomach, you lost a part of your body. So, as you said, you had to spend some time grieving those losses and knowing that you were going to do something different now, right? Like a new normal. Yeah. Like a new normal. Knowing and yet, you know, the, the five stages of, of grief, you know, there's denial and there's bargaining, like knowing, but, you know, took a lot of push and pull to realize, you know what, I'm also not, 17 anymore you know I'm I I couldn't eat when I was 19 20 21 mm-hmm. and moving through that and realizing wow I need to become an adult in this life I have right now you know that I'm never going to get that life back and that's okay and once I could finally feel that that was okay that's actually when I could make it a really good life that I eventually yeah. was able to call That's my very interesting. Tour. I, I want to I talk about that for a minute, Amy. I'd like to <laughs> um, reinforce that for our listeners and for me, that, you know, yep. when you lose a part of your life, whether, as you said, it's illness or it's a loved one or it's a relationship or it's money, once you've lost that life the way that it was that you liked, you, as you said, you can't really create the new life with joy until you release the old life. And that's hard oh, yeah. to do that's for people. True. That's very hard to do because, you know, we hang on to things that we've loved in the past. Uh, of course. I, and I, I experienced that with many aspects of my life. I write a lot about, you know, I was very close with my grandparents growing up. You know, they were Holocaust survivors. And you know, I was always, you know, very um, inspired by them and very close to them. The last night I saw them was the night I was rushed to the hospital. And then when I was, you know, in the hospital recovering, they had both passed away. So out of the hospital, I was very surprised to learn that I would never see them again. So that was, you know, a family loss that I had to work through and, again, wake up in this life and say, you know, this is um, this is my life going forward. And, and then, like, you know, little smaller things that came up later, like, eventually I got married and I thought, like, this was finally the normal for me. And then I was very surprised with a divorce. And I thought, like, I've already done my detours. Like, this can't happen now. And I realized, you know what? Once you navigate one detour, it doesn't mean that new ones don't keep coming, but you need that same approach that you know what, every detour leads you into a new step of your life and you can't make room for any more joy in your life you want mm-hmm. until you release, you know, those negative feelings that you need to process. Mm-hmm. You can't ignore them. 
Yeah, I think that's interesting, um, something you just said. What you're saying is that just because you've been through one thing doesn't mean something else won't happen. You know, we think, I paid my dues and I'm done. That's not necessarily true. Oh, yeah, I got to say, you know, I was writing this book I've been writing for six years, and the divorce happened two years ago. So the first thing I thought when it happened was, that this can't happen. I, I'm writing the book about this. You know, my detour is not going this way. And then I realized, what am I talking about? Like, what, what principles did I base this book on? And then I realized you don't always love your detour because I made a hashtag, you know, out of it, you know, love my detour. But what you do is you always have to trust your detour. And that's the key. If you trust your detour and just keep on following it, eventually you'll get to that clearing where you really learn to love it. But if, mm-hmm. you know, you have this break in the road and, and you just tell yourself, I love my detour, that's not really going to work. Because you, you also need to be honest with yourself every step right. of the way. Right. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more to Amy Ostracker about her incredible book, My Beautiful Detour. And we'll talk about um, some of the things that really got her through. Creativity, we'll talk more about. Courage, being grateful, and storytelling. Again, Amy Ostracker is living proof that even the most unwelcome and painful detour can lead to unexpected blessings. And this is a testament to her spirit and resilience. Amy Ostracker is an international keynote speaker, Huffington Post columnist, actor, artist, songer, and playwright. And we'll talk more about her awards and, and many things about her. She's very amazing. Right after the break, right here on the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Have you ever experienced the joy of living? Not just aspects of your life, but the true joy of life itself. Barry Shore has. You could call him an ambassador of joy. From a successful entrepreneur to becoming a quadriplegic due to a rare disease to his ongoing recovery through swimming and physical rehabilitation, Barry now presents his gifts to others as host of The Joy of Living. All you need to do is tune in. Listen live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. 
You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone. I'm Patricia Raskin, and we are back with The Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. We're spending a whole hour with my guest, who is really amazing. I mean, talk about obstacles and opportunities. She's broken through everyone. Her name is Amy Ostriker, and her brand new memoir is My Beautiful Detour, An Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful. Amy Ostriker is an international keynote speaker, Huffington Post columnist, actor, artist, songwriter, playwright, and Audi Award-nominated PSTD peer-to-peer specialist and author. She is a survivor of extensive medical trauma, including 27 surgeries and a sexual assault, and she shares her life story and creative strategies with therapists, medical professionals, patients, sexual abuse victims, and general audiences nationwide. She is the creator of the Love My Detour movement, to inspire individuals to to thrive because of, rather than in spite of, obstacles. She has been featured on the Today Show. She's delivered three TED Talks, TEDx Talks. She's performed her own woman musical, Gutless and Grateful, in more than 200 venues across the country. She is also a passionate voice in the ostomy community and presents narrative medicine workshops. And she lives in New York City. Wow, Amy, uh, just amazing, amazing. And just uh, yeah. to re- really, and to recap for our listeners, uh, right after in, when she was 17, she uh, had a blood clot that rushed her to the hospital where her stomach exploded. Both of her lungs collapsed, and after months in a coma, she woke up to learn she may never eat or drink again. Eventually, she had 27 surgeries to salvage and replace her digestive system. And now 15 years later, she's doing all these amazing things and she's grateful for that explosion. And she's written her first book, again, My Beautiful Detour. Welcome back, Amy. All right, so let's look Thank at um, the things you're doing to, to, you to, to really turn this around, if you will. Turning creativity yep. into a force for healing. Explain that yeah. in terms of sketching, painting, singing, dancing, acting, or writing. Explain that. Right. Well, primarily what I realized is, you know, obviously you hear all that and you think, oh, my gosh, that's a lot of negative things to go through. And the thing is, you have to feel all those natural feelings that you're entitled to. You know, you know, I allowed myself to feel anger and grief and sadness. But the key was I needed a safe container to experience those things. And luckily, you know, creativity I've always had since I was a kid. And little did I know that would become a safe container for me to with that sadness and grief and all those unpleasant emotions in a way that, you know, I had a safe space with them where they couldn't overwhelm me. And yet I wasn't, you know, ignoring them. So creativity was great because not only could I find a way to go back to doing what I love, but in my new normal, you know, not as my old, like, 17-year-old self, but it was also a way I could work through all the emotions I was feeling now and really uh, move forward with them. Yeah. So, 
So you already had those creative gifts within you, and so you just right. to use them even more. Well, and, you know, again, the beautiful detour, I discovered new avenues. Like, for me, creativity was always, you know, musical theater. Theater was always how I had gotten through um, and just how I had been happy. Um, but... Again, visual art, I never thought of myself as someone who was an artist, but that was something I discovered completely by accident because I was stuck in the hospital and had no other outlets for me to do. Um, and that turned into a new means of expression that really saved me. And then that led to writing and playwriting and all of these great you know, ways of being creative creative um that really helped me so and then I did get to go back to musical theater and do what I love so um so yeah because of all this the creativity just expanded which was wonderful yeah well it is amazing now let's look at another thing you talk about you talk about tapping into the courage to find your own uniqueness and dare to reject the path you always thought you wanted and redefine the person yeah. you always thought you were. Explain that. Right. So I realized, you know, even though I didn't have, you know, what I thought was normal anymore, normal circumstances or a normal body or whatever I thought was my old life, you know, I realized skills about, you know, my life that I never you know, knew I had before. And that really became my uniqueness. And I, I learned to be proud of, you know, however these medical and emotional circumstances have shaped me. So the courage, where does the courage come from? Does it come from a knowingness where you just say, I can do this? Where do you think it comes from, Amy? You know... I think, you know, dare I say gut, um, but um, I don't, I knew giving up was never an option because I, I didn't see any other way to go forward. You know, I, I, there was only, there was only one step at a time ahead of me. I didn't have a roadmap and I, I didn't have any other kind of plan. Um, so I, I don't think, you know, giving up was an option because there was no other way through. So, and, and in that sense, that kind of worked in your favor when you think about it, because, you know, this, this was, you know, you, you, you created your own options is what you did. Well, the truth is, I knew I loved the idea of life too much to, to give up. And yes. so I didn't like what my circumstances had become, but I didn't want to settle for anything else. Um, so... So I didn't, so I didn't really, you know, I guess taking it one moment at a time and one step at a time was all I had going for me. So Amy, that's so amazing about the courage piece and how you found that. There's another important part here that you write about, and that's gratitude. You write, be grateful for what you take for granted. And you say, after years of being nourished by feeding tubes, I savored my first sips of water. And be grateful for the hardships and setbacks that have given you the opportunity to think, 
Rebound and Reinvent Yourself. Comment on that, Amy. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I got to say, even though it was years ago, every sip of water still feels like the first because I still remember what it was like to just be parched. But, but that's just a little example of the very little things. Like, I even remember waking up in the ICU and finally being able to get outside for the first time on my wheelchair and take those very first of the outside air, Um, you know, feeling the wind outside for the first time was just a new sense of aliveness that I had forgotten about. And, you in, like, everyday life, those are the little reminders we need to give ourselves when we're trying to, you know, we hear so much, uh, be in the moment, take a breath, be present, those little kind of smacks in the face of, oh, my God, this is air, you know, on my skin. Um, those are the reminders that I try to check in with myself about every day, and I, I think we all need to. I mean, that's gratitude. You know, we hear the word grateful so much that sometimes, it, you know, it loses really the impact. But for me, gratitude is really, you know, tapping into what's right under your nose and saying, wow, and this is here and this is here every day. Yeah, very, very important. All right. We have a few more things to talk about, and one is storytelling. But I think what I'm going to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how storytelling can lead you to connect and inspire. And again, my guest is Amy Ostracker. She's an international keynote speaker. Huffington Post columnist, actor, artist, songwriter, playwright, and Audi Award-nominated PSTD peer-to-peer specialist, and she's an author. She's also the survivor of extensive medical trauma, including 27 surgeries and sexual assault. And she shares her life story in this incredible book, as well as to professionals all over the country. Amy, where can you get your book? You can get my book anywhere uh, books are sold, thankfully. It's on my website. It's on Amazon. It's on ebook and paperback. And um, it, it really is available anywhere. You can also ask for it at your local library. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> anywhere at all. But also uh, on my website, I am um, shipping out uh, signed copies or at my um, upcoming speaking events. So, and your yeah. and your website is? Yep, my website is www.amyoes.com. And there, because, you know, creativity is really saves me, you can find a lot of my creative outlets. You can hear my music, my art, um, my plays, um, and TED Talks, and, and my book is there, uh, just amyoes.com slash book and you'll find everything thank you so much all right we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk to amy about how you can use storytelling to connect inspire and lead others you're listening to the patricia raskin positive living show right here on voiceamerica.com america's voice we'll be right back
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you ready to buy or sell a business? Where do you begin? You want to make sure that both the buying and selling parties are mentally, physically, and financially ready to operate a small business, as well as have the expertise or management confidence in the type of business you're planning to buy. Listen to The Michael Saunders Show with Michael Saunders and Warren Whitus. We'll help you with questions about marketing, finance, hiring, and more. Listen Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to the patricia raskin show if you wish to call into our program today please call 1-866-472-5788 that number again is 1-866-472-5788 you may also send an email to patricia at patriciaraskin.com now back to the patricia raskin show hi everyone and we are back we're on our last segment with wonderful amy ostracker She's quite an amazing woman, and her book is Beautiful Detour, An Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful. And again, uh, as I have said before, a week before her senior prom when she was 17, a blood clot changed her life, and her stomach exploded, her lungs collapsed, she was in a coma for months, she had 27 surgeries to replace her digestive system, and today, 15 years later, she's grateful for that explosion, and her book is My Beautiful Detour, and she's a very, very accomplished woman and artist. Again, she's an international keynote speaker, columnist, actor, artist, songwriter, playwright, and um, she's the creator of the Love My Detour movement, and so before I ask you about storytelling, which I think would be part of this, explain the movement Love My Detour. What's right. The so, so love my detour. This started, as I said, I I didn't always see it as a detour, and I didn't always love it. But it took a while. Again, creativity really helped me get step by step that I was able to get far enough on whatever this trail is and look back and say, oh wow, you know, it used to be so easy for me to say. Oh, if this had never happened, I would be doing musical theater. I would be doing this or that. But this path has taken me to discovering these new skills, meeting these new people, learning these new things about myself. I mean, how could I even compare what my life would have been? This this has made me who I am. And so I realized all of those things that have made me who I am, I... I like who I am because this is who I am right now. I mean, it's like flipping through a magazine and, and just 
trying to point at random people and say, oh, I'd rather be them. You know, that's, you know, you can't. Um, And so once I learned to love those steps in my detour, that's when I could really embrace it and really own those things and move forward proudly in those things. Even if things didn't work out as neatly, you know, as I would have expected or would have ideally liked. So I wanted to create, you know, because hashtags are now such a great way to bring people together. Um, and I realized that once I could talk about it and share that with people, it also made me feel stronger and made others feel stronger. You know, I wanted to start getting people thinking of whatever has happened to them, you know, not about comparing, oh, I've been through this or I've been through that, but you know what? It's all a detour. You know, whether this or that happened to me, it was just an unexpected change in my life. And when Mm -hmm. I was able to make that, you know, general term, it didn't minimize what I went through, but it made it a really universal thing that a lot of people could be like, oh, you know, hey, I had this detour in my life, too, and it was easier to really love it when you had other people, you know, walking along those same paths. Yes. And so that was really empowering for me, and it was empowering for others as well, I think. Absolutely. And in your book, My Beautiful Detour, you emphasize the next point I want to talk Mm -hmm. about, which is storytelling. How has telling Mm -hmm. your story changed your life? Oh, definitely. So, again, the first time I really told my story was actually for a whole public theater crowd, which is kind of a leap. But um, by putting together the narrative of my life into a one-woman musical, that was really by creating, like, a theatrical arc. I was able to put my story in a framework that other people could relate to. Just like, you know, when we see a Star Wars movie, somehow we resonate with those themes, even though it's in, like, this alternate realm, but we we resonate with this archetypal hero's journey. So, really, in telling my story in that form it really helped me feel relatable and it gave me the courage to not only share it, but to reflect on all of those events I just, you know, put together and really find a takeaway message and meaning. So Mm. that definitely empowered me. Mm. Um, So it was very helpful. What do you think are the skills that are essential to being resilient? We hear a lot about resilience today. Can anybody develop them, Amy? Oh, yes, and I can attest to that because I had, I really was forced to cope, you know, on my own and find these inherent resources, which took a lot of work. But the good part was I realized that anyone has them. If I found them within me, you know, it makes it different for anyone else. So over time, I was able to narrow this down to really four basic terms that really were imperative just survival strategies that, you know, enable And what to are survive. they? Tell us what they are. So they seem like very, like, vague, kind of corny, like, Hallmark card words, but these really helped me. You know, hope, gratitude, creativity, and stories. And, you know, I talked about creativity, uh, stories, and, and gratitude with you. And, you know, the last thing I want to add about hope is hope is, you know, it, it can get a bad rap because hope is not just like this inspirational beam of light that comes to us and we just tell ourselves, oh, I have hope, I have hope, okay, I'm resilient. 
it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> I realize that hope is really a two-way street. We have to actively create it. Um, you know, it's sometimes a lie we have to tell ourselves. And an example of how that really helped me is when I got out of the hospital, I made, you know, fake countdowns on my wall, you know, 10 days till I can eat again, 9, 8. And when it got to zero, I just started back over at 10. And I did that for years in my head, you know. That was a way of getting me through, you know, even though I had really no proof that it would happen in 10 days and it didn't. But it's like an athlete kind of envisioning the finish line. It's that hope that's the fuel that propels us when the path is really uncertain. Wow. Um, Tell us about your work with patients as an alternative medicine advocate. Right. Well, along that line, you know, especially when you're in an ICU with 48 of the sickest kids in the hospital and the doctor's main concern is to keep their patients alive, they don't want to guarantee hope unless there's proof. And I understand that. But what I learned is hope is really that medicine and creativity. You know, there are more ways to recover than just a standard procedure um, in a hospital or medicine or, you know, anything like that. And luckily, you know, there's becoming more and more, you know, talk about how creative modes of healing can really improve, you know, health and the body-mind connection. And I think I really experienced that firsthand because I remember surgeons coming into my room and telling my parents, you know, she's not going to get her digestive system back. You know, she won't recover. She won't be able to dance again. All of these things <laughs> to the point where my mom would take them outside and say, don't you dare say that to my daughter. You know, they would think we were all crazy. But, you know, it's that kind of craziness and that kind of denial of, you know, hearing just, you know, I will not be a standard. Absolutely. Um, So what would you like, we're at the close of the interview, and it's been amazing, Amy. What would you like the readers to get? What's your message? What would you like them to get and gain from your book, My Beautiful Detail? Right. I mean, it's so hard to say this unless you read the book because you see how that got me there every step of the way. But when I say, you know, keep going when you don't know what's ahead. Again, so hard to do, and so many times I didn't take my own medicine, but I wouldn't be here to see things get better if I didn't find something to be grateful for in this very moment, you know, even when things didn't go as I planned. You know, honestly, right now, everything isn't medically, you know, perfect, and I'm still looking for answers. I don't have a perfect digestive system. I only absorb 20% of what I eat, you know, so there are still things to be, you know, figured out, but that's my life, and I learned years ago that if I just waited in a bubble until I got everything back the way I I, you know, I did envision, I'd still be in a little bubble, yeah. you know, and yeah. I would have never. So, you know, don't let anything, you know, limit you. It's so easy to feel limited, and there are so many ways mm. to feel limited, yeah. you know, so think out of the box. That's Thank my you so much. It was so inspirational. Amy Oster, oh, her, her brand new book is My Beautiful Detour. The Unthinkable Journey from Gutless to Grateful. Pick that up. And again, what's the website, the name of the website, Amy? Yep. 
amyoes.com, so A-M-Y-O-E-S.com. I'm also on all the social media, Facebook, all that fun stuff. But, but yeah, uh, amyoes.com. Thank you so you know, much for being on the program. Thank you, Amy. Thank it was you. So delightful. All, right. all right. All right. Stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Find me on PatriciaRaskin.com. You can write to me, Patricia, at PatriciaRaskin.com, and I'll put you on my newsletter list. And on Facebook, I'm Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week.